Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. I'm here with Shneer Zalman Newfield, who is an assistant professor of sociology at the Borough of Manhattan Community College, City University of New York, for his new book, Degrees of Separation, Identity Formation While Leaving Ultra-Orthodox Judaism, published by Temple University Press. Newfield interviewed former members of the Lubavitch and Satmar ultra-Orthodox communities about their experiences leaving those sects and beginning new lives. Visit him online at zalmannewfield.com. Thank you for taking time to talk. Oh, thank you for having me. So um, how widespread is the phenomenon of people leaving the Hasidic community? So the truth is we don't have great quantitative data on this topic yet. Uh, there are some studies uh, about it. One indicates that there's approximately 10,000 people uh, globally who have left the ultra-Orthodox community. Uh, another study indicates numbers higher. But what we know for sure is that there's a significant proportion of the Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox community who are leaving. And uh, we could see this, um, for example, uh, just uh, if you take one organization, Footsteps, which is a New York-based organization that helps people leaving the Orthodox uh, community, uh, their no, uh, membership numbers were uh, recently uh, over uh, 1,700. So in just one organization, we have that many people leaving. Uh, there's uh, other organizations like it in other parts of the world. Plus, um, we know from internally from these communities that they are aware of uh, this phenomenon, what they consider a grave threat to the community, and they've uh, tried to take all sorts of steps to address it. Uh, for instance, in the Lubavitch community uh, several years ago, uh, um, uh, several dozen rabbis from all around the world got together and issued a proclamation, a statement, uh, saying that um, the men and women in the community should get married at a younger, at a young age, and they felt that this would help to sort of lock people into the community uh, before they had a chance to to think about possibly leaving. So definitely, this is a significant uh, proportion of the total Orthodox population. By the way, when you when you give that number, um, is that just the Hasidic community, or is that the Haredi, the ultra Orthodox community at large? The, the, the 10,000 is, is the entire uh, Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox community, according to that one study. But again, these are estimates. So I think the, the really important thing is not the exact, you know, the precise number, but yeah. rather the, the kind of sense that this is a real issue that, that needs to okay. be. Because obviously, the, like, the number who are, would leave liberal Orthodoxy compared to, like, Hasidic Jewry would be much higher, right? So... Um, Right. I think, and yes, that's a good point. And I think that that goes to the fact that it raises the issue of um, what is the nature of the boundaries of these communities. So again, it's not simply a question of just what 
percentage or what number of people are leaving, but what is the, the kind of ethos in the community? Within yeah. liberal Jewish denominations, yeah. obviously all denominations want to maintain or even increase their numbers, right. but there's an understanding that people shift, maybe people go from uh, um, you know, more liberal uh, Jewish denominations to more orthodox ones, maybe people step out for some period of time and then come back to the synagogue when they start having kids or grandkids or whatever, um, but within the Haredi, within the ultra-orthodox community, the assumption is that the, all the people that are part of the community will stay and that they will potentially get more uh, people to join. And when people leave or contemplate leaving, that creates a very serious um, um, kind of existential threat to the community as they perceive it. Yeah, yeah. So obviously each of these questions you could talk about for hours, but, uh, and certainly this one as well. So in, in looking, at the, looking at the ultra-Orthodox community, what kind of relationships do these exiters tend to have with their family post-exit? Sure. So this is something that uh, I think my research really goes to try to change a common perception. So the perception out there, both among uh, some academics and certainly uh, among the general population, is that people who leave the ultra-Orthodox community become completely disconnected from their families. A lot of the TV shows demonstrate that total rupture. Exactly. We see that very recently with the show um, Unorthodox uh, from Netflix and others like it, that they're sort of completely disconnected. And my research has found that that is not at all the case. So as you mentioned, I interviewed 74 uh, Lubavitch and Satmar men and women who left their community, and I found that the majority of them managed to maintain some kind of relationship post-exit. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this. Uh, it's, it's certainly a very traumatic process leaving the ultra-Orthodox community, and often there's a period of um, uh, sort of a rupture in the relationship between the exeter and his or her family. But I found that often, in fact, most cases, um, people who left managed to build bridges to reconnect with their family. And obviously, the nature of that relationship varied a great deal. There's a wide spectrum here. Uh, and of course, the dynamic of the relationship before the person left obviously really shapes the kind of relationship that they have afterwards. So some people are leaving a highly dysfunctional, um, abusive uh, family dynamics. So that's going to um, affect the kind of relationship they have otherwise. But many other people are leaving really loving families and they manage to reconnect afterwards. Is the, it, uh, on the dynamic of shalom and MS, of maintaining kind of peace, shalom bayit, peace in the broader family versus this is, this is MS Dick Torah and if you leave it, you're out. Is there a shift over the last few decades? Is there more of a sense that uh, of tolerance towards um, those who leave, not on the communal level, of course, but on the familial level? Is there any change or is it more or less the same as 20 years ago? Well, we'd love to believe that things are really improving. Uh, that's certainly our hope and our, our prayer, as it were. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's hard to generalize about the, all of the family relationships. Some of them certainly are, are showing a real shift, as it were, or a real expression of um, um, Shalom Bayit, a concern about maintaining relationships with the family, some of them less so. Um, but again, I've heard stories that even in the, the 70s, there were people in Williamsburg that were going around saying, hey, even if your child leaves, you should love them, you should connect with them. So I don't know if it's necessarily sort of a generational or, or a historical right. thing. 
Okay, very interesting. So um, looking at your very important book, wh what do you see as the main theoretical contribution you're making here? So I think um, the real uh, focus of the book is to try to correct what I see as a, um, a, a lack within the literature on um, Orthodox Jewish communities and those who leave them. Specifically, the literature tends to assume that religious identification is a binary state. So either people are totally connected to the community or they leave and they sort of put it behind them. Um, and what I found is that that is not at all the case, that for the people who are leaving, yes, they're changing many important things about themselves, what they wear, what they eat, um, a lot of things about how they think about the world and themselves. And at the same time, they hold on to uh, what scholars call residual effects, things that are uh, kind of acquired over a lifetime of being in a community. And even after people go through a major transition, like leaving the ultra-Orthodox community, they tend to hold on to some of the things that they were instilled in them growing up. And I look at specifically people's attitudes and beliefs and people's behaviors and practices. And we could see in both of those arenas uh, elements of residual effects where people hold on to some of the beliefs and some of the practices that, um, they, that were instilled in them growing up. Very interesting. Okay, so I, I think I could, talk, uh, I could talk about this with hours for you. One last question for you today, and then I encourage folks to check out this book. What, what are some of the implications of your book? So I think that on a theoretical level, it's important uh, to understand that um, people's identity, people's sense of self, people's beliefs and practices um, are, are deeply uh, rooted in them. And even after they uh, transition, even after they go through a major life change, they often still hold on to aspects of their identity, aspects of their selves that, they they, that were inculcated over you know, decades. Um, on a practical level, I think one of the important implications is for people who are leaving the ultra-Orthodox community or the Orthodox community, um, that they should sort of give themselves a break. That I think sometimes there could be an impulse that uh, I, uh, since I'm leaving the community, I need to change every single thing about me, my, about myself. And they could feel a great uh, sense of pressure or anxiety. Well, I see, I, see, I seem to still um, feel connected to uh, the Hasidic mu music I grew up with, or I still le enjoy learning Torah, or you know any number of other sort of beautiful things that could be a part of a person's upbringing. And my research finds that instead of trying to completely uh, jettison all these different aspects of a person's upbringing, that it's perfectly okay to actually try to incorporate them into their life going forward and find a way to, to make that a part of their life and make it feel authentic and, and true to who they are and who they want to be in the future. Yeah, okay, I, 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 I uh, lied, one last question. <laughs> I'm vocal about, um, uh, about progressive causes. Um, did you, the views you hold today about society and about politics and about diversity and about justice, um, was there any life to such views in the community you grew up in? Or what was the, what was the broader political ethos that you were kind of immersed in? So I, I think it's interesting when I think about my own sort of political and moral development. On the one hand, it, on a, I don't want to say superficial, but on a, on a basic level, um, there's real rupture, real disconnect 
between my current politics and, and sort of moral outlook and what was instilled in me growing up in Crown Heights uh, in Brooklyn in the 1990s. Um, and I talk a little bit about this in the book, uh, not in my own uh, experiences, but uh, for the people I interviewed, uh, how they think about our, our race, how they think about gender, and some of these uh, attitudes and outlooks are extremely conservative and might even say reactionary. At the same time, I really do feel that there's a kind of link between my, uh, the, the moral teachings that were instilled in me growing up and my current outlook. And specifically, I think that as a Lubavitcher, uh, I was taught that Avat Yisrael, love for one's fellow Jew, is uh, you know, such an important, essential part of who we are and what we need to focus on. And I think that for me at least, and I know this is not the way that all Lubavitchers uh, think about this, but for me, I essentially took that idea, that focus, that passion around Ahavat Yisrael, and essentially just extended the circle and said, look, uh, um, yes, we have to love our fellow Jews, but we really have to love all of our uh, fellow brothers and sisters, and that we're actually one large family, and we simply cannot ignore uh, the needs, the interests, the pain, the suffering of all of our brothers and sisters of every race, of every gender, of every uh, uh, religious background, uh, and that that has to be the focus of our life. So I see an element of continuity, while at the same time I'm sure, I know, <laughs> that some people in Lubavitch would see that as a, a, as a kind of repudiation of my upbringing. That's a, that's a beautiful example of the identity formation and the continuity to think about taking something good, of course, it's not always good, but in this case, something good and expanding it, uh, taking Ahavat Yisrael, love for, for fellow Jews, and, and expanding such a notion where there is good to a broader sphere. Um, so anyways, thank you for this wonderful time. And friends, be sure to check out Prof Professor Shino Zalman Newfield's book, Degrees of Separation, Identity Formation While Leaving Ultra-Orthodox Judaism. To be continued. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care.